Hello, and welcome to another episode of All The Hacks, a show about upgrading your life, money, and travel. I'm your host, Chris Hutchins, and today I want to do a deep dive on one of my favorite countries that I am long overdue for another trip to, Costa Rica. By the end of this episode, you'll understand why it's such an amazing country to visit, but even more, you'll learn how to make the most of a trip there, whether you're looking to explore national parks, beaches, volcanoes, or anything else. We'll cover the ideal times to visit, the best ways to get around, where you should go, what you should do, and even a bunch of insider recommendations. And who better to give those tips than Javier Echecopar, co-founder of Journey Costa Rica and resident of the country. I am so excited for this episode and equally excited to plan a trip back to Costa Rica. So let's jump in right after this. When it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy, and even if you've already filed, being proactive right now to lower your future liability is so important. And now that I'm working with Gelt, I feel like I finally have a partner I can trust to handle everything for my personal and business taxes, and I'm excited to be partnering with them today. Think of Gelt as the ultimate modern CPA. They not only offer an amazing tech platform that gives you personalized guidance to maximize deductions, tax credits, and savings, but also it's so easy to communicate with them. There's an in-house team of expert CPAs who can recommend the most effective tax strategies to minimize risk and grow your wealth. And my favorite story is that when we first onboarded with Gelt, they reviewed our past returns and found a huge mistake our prior CPA had made. So they refiled and got us back all that money. So if you're ready for a more premium, proactive tax strategy to optimize and file your taxes, you have to check out Gelt. And as an All The Hacks listener, you can skip the wait list. Just head to allthehacks.com slash gelt. That's G-E-L-T. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash G-E-L-T to stop overpaying on taxes. Javier, thank you for being here. Chris, thank you for having me. A pleasure. This is exciting because Costa Rica is one of the few countries I've both been to and been to so long ago that I don't feel like I understand it. So much so that... I'm going to put myself in the exact audience of someone who's never been there and help me just think about how I would even go about planning a trip. Because for context, a friend of mine, when I was in college, was like, I have a place to stay in Costa Rica, come for a week. And I bought a round trip ticket. I had no plans. I didn't even know what we were doing. And so it wasn't an organized thing. So how should we think about trips to Costa Rica? All right. So planning trips to Costa Rica is my favorite thing. When I've started to think about the best way to structure it, and I've come to the conclusion that the best way to think about a trip to Costa Rica is you think about one adventure component, a second adventure component, and then you head to the coast for your rest and relaxation, because that's really what Costa Rica has to offer. So you've got these three parts of your trip. And then depending on what you want to experience or what adventure means to you, you can tailor the adventure component. So it could be wildlife, it could be nature, it could be adrenaline, which Costa Rica does really well. It could be local culture. So all of these are in the adventure component. And then after that, you head to the beach, you relax, you unwind, you drink some chilled wine on the coast, and then you also get to explore the coast a little bit. It's not just a beach destination, it's also a great place to explore marine wildlife or tidal pools or the rainforest where it meets the sea. So that's kind of the, the architecture of a great trip to Costa Rica. A little bit of adventure, a little bit of relaxing by the coast. And it's close enough to the U.S. that I think someone could say, oh, you could probably go for a long weekend. Like, is that really feasible? Or would you say, given the way you get around the country, given the things to do, what's the kind of the minimum time and the sweet spot for a trip? Listen, you can do anything for a long weekend. I once went to Australia for two nights because I had a, <laughs> had something to do. It's not ideal. It's a, it's, it's a bit of a hassle. And I also think it's less than the country deserves. I would say the minimum amount of time is six nights. With six nights, what you can do is three nights of adventure in one location, three nights by the coast in another destination. And with that, even though it's short, you've got a great trip. Less than that, you're going to feel shortchanged. Geographically, how do you think about structuring that? Is the adventure all in one kind of area? Is it all over the place? So imagine Costa Rica like a triangle. You've got the mountains running through the middle and you've got coasts on either side. On the east, you've got the Caribbean coast, which is a little bit less developed. And on the west, you've got the famous beaches of Guanacaste and the Pacific, which are some of the best that you can get in all of Central America. 
generally what you're going to be doing is you're going to be starting in, for example, San Jose and having some adventure in the on the mountain ranges where that's where the, the rainforest is. And then after that, kind of sliding your way down to the coast where you can you can end the trip. So if you ask me a typical Costa Rican trip, you'll start in San Jose. If I'm honest, not a lot of people spend too much time in San Jose, but maybe you can do one or two nights there, explore the coffee region, get to understand a little bit of the history of Costa Rica. And from there, you head up to the mountains. Iconic is the area around Arenal, which is this famous volcano, this quintessential Costa Rican volcano surrounded by lakes and rainforests and hot springs. There, you're going to get all your adventure. You're going to do your zipline, your wildlife, you know, see the monkeys and sloths in the trees. And after that, you just drive down to the Gold Coast of Guanacaste. So that would be a typical, very basic one-week itinerary in the area. And just for someone who's maybe said, oh, I did that trip, or I have two weeks, are there things that you're like, okay, now we can add in this other crazy now thing? Now we're talking. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's tons. So I've been exploring the country almost nonstop for the last two years personally visited it's about a hundred hotels lodges and villas throughout the country just in the last the last couple of years so exploring the country is, is my passion and there are some really incredible places like if we talk about unique lodges there's a couple that i think are very special one of them is called pacuare and pacuare is on the Pacuare River, which is the best rafting river in all of Costa Rica. So the beauty of this lodge is that you drive down, you get to this place, you put on all your gear, you get in the raft, and then you raft for about two hours and you get to the lodge. It's really only accessible if you raft there. So you feel the sense of isolation of being in the middle of nowhere and you've got the wildlife, the river, the zip lines. It's just a sense of being in the middle of nowhere that is really hard to replicate anywhere else in the world. And how do you get out? You get on the raft again, you actually, you go in the other direction. It's a lot harder to go upriver on a raft. You continue to go down the river for another two hours and they'll pick you up at the end of it. And you just spent two days completely isolated from the world. I really love that one. Another favorite of mine is a luxury lodge up in the mountains of Talamanca, which remote as well. It's about a six hour, five to six hour drive. So most of the people actually arrive on a little tiny plane. You get on a plane in San Jose, light aircraft, it could be a Cessna caravan, um, and then you fly over the mountains and you land literally right on property. And it is incredible. You're in the mountains surrounded by these tiny little villages. This is farm communities. So you've got cacao farmers, you've got coffee plantations, you've got the cowboy culture of Costa Rica. So you get to ride your horses with the cowboys. And it's a really in-depth version of Costa Rica in a really isolated place as well. It's, it's gorgeous. So it's funny because you said, oh, this luxury place. The Costa Rica I was introduced to was the college Costa Rica. There's still that. In fact, my friend told me he'd rented us a place, but he hadn't. I got in at like one in the morning. We just slept on the pool chairs at a hotel that wasn't open until the morning. <laughs> Is there the entire spectrum now, I'm guessing, of, of lodging for anyone of any price point? Or, or how do you think about how to make it work? There's wildly expensive villas and hotels. I mean, we work with villas that charge... Fifty to sixty thousand dollars a night during festive season. So absolutely world class, literally the best you can get in the world. But honestly, for me, the beauty of traveling Costa Rica is this, this high and low, where you can have this incredible luxury experience, but you can also have a more authentic, off the beaten path experience. And a while ago, I was working with with some friends, and we set up a trip where they were doing these incredible lodges. But they asked me, I want an authentic Costa Rican experience. So I had met an American woman, her name is Sandra, who has a beautiful farm about an hour from Arenal. And I said, do you think we can get our guests to spend some time with you? And she said, absolutely. So they went and they spent three nights living on a Costa Rican farm. They woke up in the morning, they milked cows, they made cheese, they jumped in the river, they harvested plants and food, they, they had eggs, they had little piglets. And they loved it. They had the best properties in Costa Rica and they had three nights on a farm. For me, that's the best, the contrast. Wow. And you mentioned some festive season. I guess while we're in this kind of setting the scope for an entire adventure, how do you think about when to go to Costa Rica throughout the year? So the easiest answer is every month besides September and October. September and October are when it rains the most. And so if you're looking for 
being outside, being by the beach, and you would prefer not to get rained on, September and October are the months to avoid. Now, if you want to get a little bit more nuanced, there are different times of year where you're going to see different wildlife. For example, if you go down to the Osa Peninsula and you're in Golfo Dulce and you want to see whales, that is starting July, August, um, really to, through December. So there's seasonalities that have to do with the wildlife, with the turtles as well. So the turtles come in September, October on the Caribbean side. So you get to see thousands of turtles coming in. So if there are specific things you want to see around wildlife or weather, keep that in mind because knowing exactly when you're going to see those big wildlife spectacles makes a difference. Now, the other thing is I love the rain. Even in September, October, the rain is usually you get clear mornings and then in the afternoon you get these big rain, tropical rain, big heavy thunderstorms. The lightning is incredible. The thunder just crackling in the sky. And so even at its worst, in September and October, it's still a possibility to visit, as long as you don't mind getting a little bit wet. A lot of destinations have prime season. I love the shoulder seasons where it's like, it's not the main time. It's not the most expensive. It's not the most crowded. You get a lot of value, but you're not hitting the wettest time of the year. What is that for Costa Rica? Oh, so that's such a good, because my advice is if you can avoid traveling and festive, you're solid. Um, so the week that really starts December 23rd to January 6th, roughly, two things happen. One, everybody comes to Costa Rica. Two, the prices go bonkers, like four times as much. So you're, you're getting crowded hikes, crowded beaches, and you're paying four times as much for that. The other week where that tends to happen is around spring break. So March and April, that also tends to happen. If you can avoid those months, you're going to get a much more value for your money and a much better experience. If you ask me specific months where I really like to travel, I think November is great. The rains have stopped already and it's great weather and we still don't see a lot of crowds. And also May. May is a great transition month where you've gotten a little bit of rain already. So everything's starting to get green and lush. But the crowds have left because spring break is over and it's still a good time to visit. So those would be my two best value months. And any other major mistakes people are making when they're kind of starting to plan a trip? So some people envision Costa Rica as a beach destination. Don't get me wrong, it's got some amazing beaches. I live by the beach, so I get to go to the beach all the time. It's fantastic. Love seeing the sunset on the beach. But if you come only for the beach, if you go, for example, to an all-inclusive on the beach in Costa Rica, then you're going to be able to get that in other places. It's probably cheaper to stay in a nice place in Florida and get your beach fixed there. If you really want to make the most out of Costa Rica, the nature component has to be key. That's where you're going to be able to see things that you won't see in any other place on the planet and really get a notion of the biodiversity of the country, get to see the incredibly friendly people as well. But all of that is a step back from the beach. So this combination of adventure and beach, that's the best thing. Don't focus exclusively on the beach because you'll get that in other places as well. And you said friendly people. What's the culture like in Costa Rica? So you've been to Costa Rica. I'll ask you, like, what is the saying that everybody says here in Costa Rica? You'll say it as hello. You'll say it as goodbye. You heard it a hundred times while you were here. Oh, my gosh. You're going to have to prompt my memory. It has been. All right. It's Pura Vida. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So everybody says Aloha in Hawaii. It's the way you say hello. It's the way you say goodbye. When you want to acknowledge something, it is the most commonly used phrase here in Costa Rica. It's Pura Vida, kind of like pure life. It doesn't really mean anything, but it kind of embodies the culture here in Costa Rica. People here are some of the happiest people in the world. If you look at happiness indicators um, in terms of how satisfied people are with their life, then Costa Rica is one of the happiest places on the planet. And Pura Vida is a little bit about that. It's about being in nature, being with family, keeping life simple, eating simple but delicious meals. Like that is the culture here. Incredibly friendly, incredibly outgoing, very relaxed, very chill. But at the same time, disciplined. It's a little bit of the Switzerland of Latin America, where if somebody's going to be on time, they're on time. That kind of brings me to another thing. For example, there's no bargaining in Costa Rica, which I'm a Latino. I'm used to bargaining for everything. And you don't bargain here in Costa Rica. They'll give you one price. It'll be a fair price. And if you bargain, they'll say, I'm sorry, if you don't want it, then, then you don't get it. Oh, interesting. That is something I don't remember, but I'm not sure I had enough money to even bargain. I think, <laughs> I think we were eating the cheapest meals we could eat. <laughs> so you're already at the bottom rung. And what's the food like? So the food is 
very, I want to say standard. That's the word I'm going for. It does not have, if I'm honest, there's not a huge culinary lifestyle around here. The typical dish is a casado. A casado is rice and beans. Casado means marriage or married. So the rice and beans always go together. That's why it's married. They're casado, they're married. So you've got rice and beans, a little bit of a salad, a little bit of a protein. And a casado is something that you'll get in every single restaurant in Costa Rica. You're driving on the road and you'll see a little soda and you'll stop there and the dish of the day will be a casado from Monday to Monday. And the same with every single other restaurant, typical local restaurant in Costa Rica. It is everywhere. And that is the most iconic Costa Rican dish. If you're going for the culinary adventure and the local food, you'll get to experience it but the adventure in the beaches is where everything shines. I'm sure exactly. you can get great food at any property. Of course. Listen, you go to a Four Seas and you go to some of the best restaurants in San Jose and you're going to have world-class cuisine. And there are some new restaurants that are opening up that really have a strong focus on local produce and working with artisanal fishermen and bringing ingredients out of the rainforest and cooking with that. So at the highest level, you're going to get some world-class cuisine. But generally, you're going to focus on other things while you're here in Costa Rica. There is nothing better than finding a brand of clothing that's comfortable, functional, and looks good. And that's exactly how I feel about our sponsor today, Viore. If you saw me in person, you'd know I believe it because there are very few days that go by where I'm not wearing one, two, or even three pieces of Viore. They make performance apparel for men and women that's incredibly versatile. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it at all. And it is so comfortable, you'll want to wear it all the time. I've long said that Sunday performance joggers were my favorites, and don't get me wrong, I have at least three pairs, and they are the most comfortable pants I've owned, but I've been running a lot more, and it's still warm in California, so I'm wearing my core shorts all the time. Their products are incredibly versatile and can be used for just about any activity, whether it's running, training, yoga, but they're also great for lounging and running around town. Honestly, I think Viore is an investment in your happiness, and for all the Hacks listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase, as well as free shipping and returns on U.S. orders over $75. So you should definitely check them out at allthehacks.com slash Viore. Again, go to allthehacks.com slash V-U-O-R-I and get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. So I want to talk about an amazing resource, the NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast, where every week, NerdWallet's in-house experts and financial journalists set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your money. The nerds have already helped me get smarter about saving money on groceries, avoiding some of the latest financial scams, and boosting my credit score since it's actually been going a little bit up and a little bit more down lately as I've been taking advantage of a few recent credit card offers. They also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life so you'll get the clarity you need to make smart decisions with confidence. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I know you have kids. I have kids. You talked about going up in the mountains, down to the beach, going on drives. How friendly is Costa Rica to a trip with young kids? So I'll give you an example of how friendly it is. When we first traveled here with my family, my son was three at the time. Um, I had another, uh, so I've got two. Well, he was three, and my daughter was 14. And we loved it so much that we decided to move to Costa Rica. It's such a great place for kids. We lived in New York at the time. And we came here, we traveled three weeks in Costa Rica. And I said, this is where I want my kids to grow up. So we just grabbed them, packed our stuff up in Manhattan, and moved to Costa Rica. And it's been amazing. It's safe. It's easy to explore. It's got such quick access to so many kid-friendly highlights. I remember being with the kids down in the Yosa Peninsula and jumping into a waterfall. And my son, he was just squealing in delight. And I've, I've never heard him squeal, just like from the heart, from the like deep inside the heart, like just squeals of delight. And it's just so easy to access all these, these memories. We'll wake up almost every Saturday and say, 
all right, what do we want to do? What's the next adventure? And we'll go out on adventures and we'll see colorful frogs right outside our rooms. We'll wake up in the morning and we'll hear howler monkeys at dawn. My son is picking up hermit crabs on deserted beaches. There's such easy and kid-friendly, wonderful memories that I think it's one of the greatest places to travel with kids. These are all beautiful memories that kids can have. I'm already convinced, but you, you talked about driving a lot. You're like, you could drive up to the mountains, you could drive down to the beach. My experience, at least 20 years ago, we rented a car. The roads to Tamarindo, where we were, were not great. My friend flipped a car. It was a disaster. <laughs> How easy is it to get around now? Probably gotten better, but not a lot better. Not a lot better. So when I first moved here, I bought a what I thought was going to be a sturdy enough vehicle. It was a Toyota 4x4 RAV4. Um, and we started exploring the country. We got out and headed out into the mountains, the beaches. And one time we wanted to go to what was a relatively remote beach. Um, so we got down this relatively easy dirt path to the beach. It was a beautiful beach, coconuts coming down, nobody there. We camped for one night. But what happened is that night it started to rain and the entire road turned into mud and we got stuck. We could not get out of the beach because the car just would not go up the, the, the little hill of mud. So we had to get a bulldozer, tie some chains to the truck, to our car and pull us out. And again, there's rivers you have to cross and you have to know how to cross the rivers. You get out, you check for crocodiles, you look around, you cross by foot to get a sense of where the water is and how deep it is, and then you cross. Almost every car in my area has, you know, it's four by four elevated and has a snorkel because that's how hard it is to get around. So yes, you can drive, but we usually don't <laughs> suggest it unless you know what you're doing. It, but it's easy to get around otherwise. I can set you up with a car and driver and there's local transportation. There are ways to get around. And also you kind of want to travel with a guide while you're here because he'll tell you different stories. He'll point at things that you will not have seen and the wildlife as well. You'll be walking in a forest and you might not have a guide and you'll see nothing. And then you'll be with a guide and you'll realize that you are surrounded by life because he'll point out at trees and said, you see that bump on the branch? That's not a bump, that is a sloth. And he'll point at the other direction and that's a snake and there's a frog here and there's a little armadillo behind that leaf. So the forest becomes alive if you're traveling with the right people. So my suggestion to get around, get a driver, get a guide to help you out. It's gonna make a big difference. And aside from, you know, you guys, are finding guides and drivers just for anyone going, is that an easy thing to do? So the guides here in Costa Rica are remarkable. Regardless of how you book, you're most likely gonna get an amazing guide. They're very professional. They go through a heavy coursework to be a guide. Every two years, they have to resubmit their coursework to showcase that they're really learning. So guides are incredible in Costa Rica. So regardless of how you're booking, you're gonna find a great guide and finding a driver should be easy as well. So feel confident that you're gonna find somebody that's great. Ours are the best, but <laughs> there are others that are almost as good. So all that said, if you're trying to figure out a one-off experience on your own, I highly suggest you reach out to the concierge of the hotel and really give them a notion of what you're looking for in the guide. And so they don't just call anybody, but you can tell them, listen, we've got a family. The kids are super active. They're super curious. They've got a lot of questions. Who do you suggest for this? Or we're physically very active. We want to do a really strenuous hike. So we need a guide that's really going to move things along and really not point at all the critters, but move us along because we really want to do a physical hike. They're going to select somebody else. Keep in mind that every guide has a different way of approaching the destination that has a different passion. And the concierge of the hotel is probably going to know the right person based on what you're looking for. It's not just about the tour. It's about how you want to experience it. You're not pitching yourself, so I will. But you guys obviously have the expertise to plan all of this for people. So obviously, we'll put links to everything you guys do in the show notes as well. And as for getting in, I know recently there are now flights to both Liberia and San Jose. Do you think everyone needs to start in one versus the other? How do you think about kind of where to enter? So I would say that a classic itinerary in Costa Rica is flying into San Jose and leaving through Liberia. You create this little loop and you get to see the adventure component that I talked about before. 
first, and then you end by the beach. And Liberia is very close to some of the best beaches in, in Costa Rica. So that's an iconic way to see Costa Rica. That said, it's pretty easy to get from Liberia to San Jose. There are scheduled flights on an airline called Sansa. And you can book the flight from Liberia to San Jose, which is around 45 minutes, on a light aircraft. It costs about $100. So if you're looking at international airfare and you realize that flying in and out of San Jose is a lot cheaper for your family than flying in and out of Liberia, book the best and the most convenient international air. And then you can just connect the two main international airports in Costa Rica with a small, very short flight. Also, the short flights are a lot of fun. There's a little adventure on the little plane. So don't see it as just a one other flight. See it as a kind of a sightseeing adventure by air on, on a light aircraft, and it can be a lot of fun. I know when we talked about itineraries, you broke down a good idea of where to go. I'm going to pick a couple regions. So we'll start in San Jose. Let's say people are landing there. They want to spend a couple days. I know, in fact, it didn't seem like if someone only had a short period of time you might even recommend they stay there. But to the extent they are, because it's where they might be flying in, what would you suggest someone do with a night or two there to fill the time? All right. So my favorite thing to do in San Jose is to go up to the coffee region. There is a beautiful bed and breakfast and hotel called Finca Rosa Blanca. And it's owned by an adorable couple. They're from New York and they'll take great care of you. And the best thing about them is, besides being adorable, is that they make some of the best coffee in Costa Rica. It is organic, it is shade grown, and they do one of the best coffee tours in the country. So you spend one night there, you wake up in the morning, you hear the birds, you look over the coffee plantation, and you sit down on this beautiful terrace that they have and you have an incredible cup of coffee. That afternoon, you can either go into town which is you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes away, and visit some of the great museums, have a dinner at Siqua, which is the best restaurant in Costa Rica, one more night up in Finca Rosa Blanca, and then the next day you're off exploring. What's the nightlife culture in San Jose? We didn't spend any time there, so I'm curious. I am the father of two, and I have no idea <laughs> the nightlife anywhere, Chris. I've given up. <laughs> My kids have given up nightlife. For me, my nightlife starts at 4.30 a.m. when my son wakes me up. <laughs> so that's my answer. I'm sure there's some great places. I just don't know where they are. <laughs> any other, whether it's a gallery or a museum or a park or and any other way to spend the time between meals if you're around town in San Jose? There's two great museums. The Museum of Gold, Museo de Oro and the Museo Nacional. I love the Museo Nacional. Both are great. Museo Nacional, for me, takes priority just because it gives you so many dimensions of Costa Rica. You walk in and there is a butterfly house. So you're walking and immediately you're walking into this colonial building and immediately you're surrounded by butterflies. But then it also talks about the recent political history of Costa Rica and really what makes it such an outlier in Latin America, how it abolished the army, how it focused so strongly on rewilding and reforestation and protecting biodiversity, as well as the indigenous culture, the colonial history. So you really get a whole array of the different dimensions of Costa Rica in one museum. It's great for a couple of hours, and I think you'll appreciate the rest of Costa Rica much more once you understand a little bit about the history of the country. So let's talk about that rest of Costa Rica. You talked about a few adventure things. You can go to the Arenal, you can go rafting. Are there any other highlights of what people could do for those kind of three adventure days that you'd recommend? And get as specific as you want. All right. So one of the things that makes Costa Rica such an outlier is just how many things you've got to do. So I could go on for hours about all the different things, but a couple of my favorite experiences that we've had in Costa Rica. One of them is tidal pools. So if you go down to the town of Santa Teresa on the Nicoya Peninsula, and it's a beautiful little town. It's got some great restaurants. It's a dirt road. Everybody gets around on ATVs. And you get up at sunrise and the tidal pools will be at just the perfect water level. And you get up at sunrise, you do your walk in the morning, and then you sit at the tidal pools and you see the sun come up. And it is amazing. It's one of those beautiful memories. I can't believe I'm in this place. 
the tidal pools in Santa Teresa, I absolutely love. One of the other things that we did as a family and we loved so much is we uncovered this small lagoon of this bright blue color filled by this perfect waterfall coming down. And all of this was on a private estate. It's actually a dragon fruit farm that we found in the area. And they are near the volcano. So this is volcanic water coming down. Not hot, it's cold, but it's very mineral rich. So it's this bright blue color. So we were there literally having a picnic of dragon fruit sitting on this blue waterfall of this lagoon filled by this blue waterfall. Absolutely incredible stuff. And this is something anyone can go to or? Yes. You know the right people. (laughs) I'm the right people. (laughs) And then finally, I want to say, again, zipline. Everybody does a zipline in Costa Rica. And my suggestion is find the longest one that you can in the place. There are some that are short, some that are long, but there's something about these hyper long lines where you lose a sense of where it starts and where it ends. And for a moment, you're just flying. If you do the zip lines that have the shorter, you always see where you started and or where it's ending. But the long ones, the ones that are you know, thousands of feet long, for a moment, you're flying. So find the longest zip line you can and enjoy it because it's a very magical moment. I never made it to Arenal, which is funny because we're going to Hawaii next week to the big island where there's active volcanoes. How do you spend time around the volcano? I don't know what that experience is like. So the volcano is now, it's not dormant, but it's not as active as it was a few years ago. So a few years ago, people would line up and they would see the volcano at night throw lava down and it was this this really cool spectacle. It stopped doing that right now. That doesn't mean the volcanic activity is not there. You can still see the smoke coming out. But what it's really doing right now is it's heating up all the thermal water that comes out. There's so much water in Costa Rica. So the entire area around Arenal has tons of hot springs. So if you ask me the best thing to do with a volcano is two things. First, you hike. You hike the volcano. You can't go all the way to the top, but you do a hike that gets you as high up as you can. You get that physical activity done. You come down, you have a nice lunch. And then that afternoon, once your muscles start to get a little sore, you use the other side of the volcano, which is the hot springs. And you go and you just relax and unwind at the hot springs. That would be the two ways that I would use the volcano at a nun. Make an effort and then relax. And is a lot of this, these hot springs are part of resorts or are they just open to the public or how is that structured both so a lot of the resorts in arenal have their own hot springs some of them are amazing for example you go to tabacon which is a gorgeous hotel and they have probably the best hot springs in the area but there's also public hot springs as well suggestion for this get there early or late in the evening you're going to have your own little pool it's going to make a big difference if you get there kind of towards late morning or early afternoon there's going to be more crowds i love hot springs when there's nobody else there so early morning late afternoon that's for me is the way to go having been to japan and lots of places is there any hot springs culture or etiquette people need to know about here don't be naked that's the only thing no i mean it's (laughs) a good lesson besides that you're pretty sad okay There is nothing I love more than learning something I enjoy is actually so good for you, and nothing showcases that better than Pu'er tea. It has so many health benefits, and one of my favorite ways to consume Pu'er is from our sponsor today. Peak's Pu'er teas are all cold extracted using only wild harvested leaves from 250-year-old trees rich in minerals, theraflavins, and catechins. Then everything is triple toxin screened for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold commonly found in plants. Using Peak's products is so easy and requires zero prep because they're all in pre-measured quantities that dissolve in cold or hot water in seconds, and they are so travel-friendly. They have so many different products, but this year, my two go-to teas are the Green Pu'er, which is great for mental clarity and energy, and the Black Pu'er, which helps kickstart digestion and metabolism with a rich, earthy flavor that is so good and probably one of my favorite teas to drink. And if you need another reason, search for all the amazing research-backed benefits of polyphenols for your gut microbiome, heart, blood sugar, and then be happy that Pu'er is more concentrated in polyphenols than all other teas in the world. But you don't even have to take my word or do any of that research because Peak Tea offers free U.S. shipping, free returns, and a money-back guarantee. 
And for a limited time, you can get up to 15% off and a free quiver with 12 tea samples with my link at allthehacks.com slash peak. That's P-I-Q-U-E. So check it out today at allthehacks.com slash peak, P-I-Q-U-E. I love a good value proposition, and with our sponsor today, Trade Coffee, they are here to help you make better coffee at home. Who doesn't want that? And it's a fraction of the cost of going out for coffee. To make that possible, Trade brings roasted-to-order coffee from more than 55 of the nation's top roasters right to your doorstep. And stay tuned for a special offer for All The Hacks listeners in just a moment. So in our house, we love Trade and have had a subscription for over a year. No joke, Amy's eyes light up the second she sees a bag at the doorstep, even if she's not going to make a coffee until the next day. And when you subscribe to Trade, you'll discover new favorites while supporting small businesses across the country. The best part is you can personalize everything. They send coffee that's matched to your taste preferences and you choose how often it gets delivered. And there's multiple ways to experience Coffee with Trade. Sign up for a subscription or try one of their starter packs today, or it makes an amazing gift for anyone who loves coffee. So jumpstart your daily coffee routine by signing up for a Trade subscription. Right now, Trade is offering a free bag with select subscription plans when you visit allthehacks.com trade. That's allthehacks.com trade for a free bag with select subscription plans. Allthehacks.com trade. I just want to thank you, Quick, for listening to and supporting the show. Your support is what keeps this show going. To get all of the URLs, codes, deals, and discounts from our partners, you can go to allthehacks.com slash deals. So please consider supporting those who support us. And then what about the beach? I know there's probably everything from small huts to villas to giant all-inclusive resorts. We didn't go too deep, but... Where should people go? How should they plan it? What do you recommend? So beach-wise, there's two general types of properties. One, you're going to get the resort properties. You're going to get the, you know, the Andas, the W, the Mangrove. All of these are large resorts that have presence right by the beach, but they also have a beach club. So you get kind of the best of both worlds. Some of these are all-inclusive. Some of them, you just go and unwind. So you've got the beach resort, and then you've got the beach towns. Tamarindo, where you stayed, Santa Teresa, Nosara, Manuel Antonio to, to a degree, where you get a combination of hotel, but also little shops, little restaurants. You can walk around. So depending on what you're looking for, those are your two alternatives. That said, my suggestion is find somebody that can take you to one of the more remote beaches. Because everybody seems to concentrate on just a few beaches. If it's a weekday and you're in Costa Rica and you go to one of these more remote beaches, there's a likelihood that you can be the only person on the beach. It is incredible to have this pristine, beautiful, gorgeous beach with shade and monkeys and gorgeous water and sometimes dolphins or whales in the background. And the fact you're there by yourself that doesn't happen almost anywhere on the planet. And that's a really special experience. Make the most, find a way to get to a a remote beach. You'll feel that it's something special. Are there any secret properties that you can kind of mix the two? Because I agree. I look at all the trips we've taken and we love leaving the resort and going downtown and walking around. And sometimes you pick one, it's just impossible. It's in the middle of nowhere. And then sometimes you find that place that's a little closer and a little more accessible. Does that exist or do you really have to pick? So I would say that from every single resort or beach town, there's something relatively close by. It might be you know a 20 minute walk. It might be a 40 minute drive. Regardless, you're going to find something nearby. You just have to ask the concierge, give them a notion of what you're looking for and get a a guide or just a taxi, take you there, somebody to pick you back. And it makes it worthwhile. Find that special beach. I know sometimes this is most notable in Bali, where if you land at a really high end hotel and you say, I need a ride, you might think that the only way to get a ride is the first way they give you, which is like, well, we can take you there for some price. But you can also ask them, or could you just call me a taxi, which they would never volunteer in advance, but will be like a third of the cost. Is there any similar situation here or is it just call an Uber or or how does it work? I live in a relatively remote-ish area and I've tried to Uber anywhere because that's what I've been trained to do. 
it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> you can't you can't Uber anywhere. But they'll always have a contact with a taxi. So yes, that's a great tip. And taxis are reliable. They are safe. There's no issues with them. And so if you want to save a few bucks, absolutely. Tell the concierge that you just want a taxi. You don't need the fancy Mercedes black van. And you'll get to wherever you need to go. And same is true. End up in town late at night, have dinner. Can you just ask the restaurant, can you get us a taxi? Or, or can you just walk around town and wait? Or even easier, when you get your taxi going into town, ask the taxi driver for his card. Almost every single taxi driver will have a card on him with his direct number. And so you can just call him after. Let him know I'm going to be coming back in three, four hours. Is it all right if I call you? And he'll give you a card and that'll be your way out. Okay. And is it more of a calling culture or is it more of a send a WhatsApp message culture? WhatsApp? I have never been in a country that loves WhatsApp more. Every single thing is done on WhatsApp. You call your lawyers, your your bank, everything on WhatsApp. Everything is connected via WhatsApp. So download WhatsApp 100% before you come. All right. And then what about activities at the beach? I know when I went, we went surfing every day. It was fantastic. I'm sure we overlooked a million things we could have done, boat tours or, or anything of the likes. So I like to think of the beach as kind of the coast, not just the beach, because it kind of opens up your level of expectations and what you want to do. There's a ton of things to do by the beach. So to begin with, anything on water. There's great snorkeling. There's some amazing places to dive. One of my favorite things is jumping on you know, a boat in the afternoon, a sailboat or a catamaran or a, a boat boat, and, and just going, exploring the coves of whatever area you're in. There's going to be small little islands. There's going to be deserted beaches. You might you know, jump off, go to a little beach, explore some caves, and then come back on board. It really showcases how unexplored Costa Rica is when you're on the boat. And then there's a lot of activities. As you said, there's surfing, there's fishing. There's a lot of things to do. We can organize gourmet picnics on remote beaches. So keep the coast as a place that you're going to be exploring and not just lying on the beach. We get clients all the time asking us, listen, I'm not a beach person. How much should I spend at the beach? And I say, listen, don't worry about it. There's tons of activities. If you want to be active... We've got a lot of things. Costa Rica has a lot of things to do by the beach. Now that I'm pretty convinced, I think there's nothing my three-year-old would want to do more than see so many animals. All we talk about at home is animals. All we read about is animals. Where's the place that we would go for that experience? Oh, I love it. I think how kids connect to wildlife is, as a parent, is really heartwarming. You see them get incredibly excited and Listen, Chris, I've done a lot of crazy trips to the jungle, to the Amazon, Peru and Brazil and Ecuador, and I've never seen a place that has the density and the ease of seeing wildlife as the Osa Peninsula, which is down south in Costa Rica. So if you look at a map of Costa Rica, you'll see that the bottom left bit on the Pacific side, there's a peninsula that comes out. That is Osa. And it's honestly one of the most magical places on this planet. It's one of the wildest places left in Costa Rica. And the intensity of the wildlife there is, I want to say, unrivaled. I remember staying at a lodge one moment and having drinks on the terrace, seeing an armadillo cross my table underneath where we were sitting, look up and seeing parrots, macaws just going in pairs above us and then looking towards the ocean and seeing whales in the ocean. It's just a place that has this incredible biodiversity, this intensity of life, and it's the best place to see animals. We were walking with my three-year-old, with Emilio, and the sloth is literally right there. And I've done five or six trips to the Amazon and I had never seen a sloth that close. And this was right there at the lodge in the Osa Peninsula. So for wildlife, it doesn't get better than Osa. You've got incredible birding, incredible mammals, and you've got the marine wildlife as well. You can see megapods of dolphins in this area. You can see whales with baby whales from June, July onward. For animals, this is the best place. And sloths, there's this place that we found. And we got there and there was this family that had discovered that there was this resident population of sloth that was living on their farm. And so now they open it up to the public and you can walk a trail that is, I kid you not, maybe a quarter of a mile long and see 
10, 15 slots in one place. Where exactly is this? So this is in the Osa Peninsula near Puerto Jimenez, and the name is La Perica. It's a fantastic place to visit, especially with kids. And I know that's far away. So would you recommend if someone was like, let's go down to Osa Peninsula? Is that a small internal flight down there and then you fly back up or how do you get there practically? Listen, you can drive if you want to, but it's a very long drive. It's probably a two day drive to get down there. So 100% we suggest you fly down there. Two reasons why. One, it's going to save you a lot of headaches and mayhem, probably. But also, the sightseeing from the plane is amazing. So we like to go around a little bit and fly a little bit lower. And so you get to see this incredible peninsula with its coves and the tropical fjords and the rainforest. And if you're lucky, it's a time of year and you're a little lucky, you can actually see the whales as, as well from the plane. All of this from above, and then you land into this airstrip right on the peninsula. It's spectacular. You described it as this place that it's like uninhabited. Are there actually places to stay down there as well to make a couple days of it? Or is it more of like a fly-in, fly-out day trip? So there's a small town called Puerto Jimenez, which is where you fly into. And then there are some lodges that are nestled into the rainforest a little bit more towards the national park, which is called Corcovado. So yes, there's some terrific lodges. Some of our favorites are El Remanso and Laparillos. Both of these, some of the best eco-lodges in, in the country. These are just fantastic places to stay where you get right on property all of this biodiversity that I've been talking about. Wow. You've convinced me. So one thing we didn't talk about, I feel like every time I search for Costa Rica, I see these gigantic bridges suspended in the middle of the mountains and people hiking. We touched a little bit on it, but one, all these bridges and waterfalls, where are they? And for someone who likes hiking, how do you find the best ones and where do you go hiking? So the question about the waterfalls is funny because I had somebody reach out to me the other day and saying, I can't remember the name of this lodge. It had a waterfall, and I told her, every lodge has a waterfall. There, there are so many waterfalls in Costa Rica. You're on these small planes that I've been telling you about, and you can point out the waterfalls on both sides. So waterfalls all over. I think the, the thing that people don't realize about Costa Rica is just how mountainy it is. So the tallest mountain in Costa Rica is called Chiripo, and Chiripo is 12,500 feet high. So it's a proper, proper mountain here in Costa Rica. And so the mountains, it's all over. If you're looking for great hikes, a couple things to keep in mind. One, you can hike up Chiripo. It gives you that badge of honor of hiking up the tallest mountain in, in a country. It's a great hike. You can do it with just one night, or if you hustle, you can do it for the day up and down. Or if you really want to do something extraordinary, there is a hike. It's called El Camino de Costa Rica, which is the path of Costa Rica that connects through a series of paths in the mountains and from town to town, the Caribbean Ocean with the Pacific Ocean. So you can literally cross the country hiking from one end to the next. You'll get to see little villages, indigenous communities, wildlife. It really offers everything that Costa Rica has in one place. But that is it's about a, a 10 day hike that you've got there. Probably not one to bring the uh, the one and the three-year-old on. Oh, we're not going to bring the kids on that one, Chris. No, we're going to leave them at home for that one. This has been great. Tell people for a few minutes about what you guys do. I think Costa Rica is a country that you could do this on your own, but you could also enlist the help of someone who, who's dialed in like you are. How do you guys work with people and what can people expect? So the first thing we do is explore. As I mentioned, we're out and about exploring everything in the country, over a hundred inspections of hotels and villas and homes and lodges, just so that we have all the best content and we know where every single key player is in the country. So with all this really good information about the country, we design trips. So you'll come to us and you'll say, Javier, I've got family of four. We're really active. My kids are one and three. We really like the beach. We want to see some wildlife. And I say, all right, so what we're going to do for you is we're going to start you off in San Jose. We're going to spend a little time in a project that I love called Bosque Vivo. And then we're going to go and we're going to see the wildlife in Arenal. And we're going to take you behind the scenes to the wildlife sanctuary. And then we're going to go to the coast and I'm going to hook you up with a marine biologist that's going to take you to explore the tidal pools. So we put all these pieces together in terms of the people we know, the restaurants we visit, the hotels and lodges that we love 
put it all together in one hopefully remarkable trip based on exactly what you want to do in Costa Rica. And yes, it is a destination that you can oversimplify and just do the beach or just do all inclusive. But if you really want to dig in deep and get the best of the country, logistics play a big factor. How you get from one place to the next. Are you going to drive? Are you going to fly? Who's going to meet you at the airport? How are you going to get from this place to the next? So we handle all the logistics as well. And that's how we make the best trips in Costa Rica happen. I love it. We talked briefly before we hit record about how at all the hacks we're planning this trip to Iceland based off an episode like this. And I'm hoping that in the future, and, and for anyone getting excited listening to this, give us some time. It's a lot of work. But I'm hoping in the future that every one of these episodes we've done, we can turn into a trip and invite people on and tailor an experience where it's not just maybe you get to go on with your family, which of course they can reach out to you directly, but one where we could reach out and bring together a group of 12, 15, 20 people and go on the trip of a lifetime with your guys' help. So hopefully that's something we can make happen in the future, but give us some time. We're going to try the first one in Iceland next year and go from there. Whenever you're ready, Chris, let me know. This has been so great. Costa Rica is now on the list. I feel like San Francisco's had on and off. It's like there was a short window with a direct flight and then there wasn't. As soon as that flight's back or our one-year-old becomes a two or three-year-old, I think we're ready to do it. I'll put a Google alert on Google Flights, but whenever that flight is coming back in, I'll call you up. Chris, you promise. I, I expect you to be here. I will be there. We can go check out the sloths. We can go to the ocean. We can do all the Sounds things. Sounds good. Sounds good. Love it. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Chris, my pleasure. Such a great episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider clicking that follow or subscribe button if you haven't already. It really helps us out. And there's no better way to support us than doing that or sharing the show with a friend, colleague, or family member, or even a random stranger is totally appreciated. Also, links to everything in this and all other episodes are at allthehacks.com, where you can also find all the deals we find, as well as links to the top credit card bonuses. Finally, if you have any feedback, want to get in touch, or share a question you have for a future mailbag episode, you can email me at podcast at allthehacks.com. That's it for this week. I'll see you next week.